Before, if you couldn't feel the spirit of the Lord in there, you better check your checker. Because that was worship. That was worship. You know, uh, that video, we, we went to the sending off service of our son, Colin. That's our son, Colin, and his wife, Madison. And they could have went through that whole video and not talked about the terrorism threat. You know, when they said that, I was like, did they have to say that to, with their mom and dad sitting there? But I've heard someone say this, Jesus really hadn't called us to be safe. We have to be wise, but he's called us to share the gospel. He called us to go. And so I'm glad he answered that call, and I'm glad that this church in so many ways, Brother Dan, is faithful to send. And we support a lot of missionaries. We're not a large church, but we give a large amount of money to our missionaries, and we bless them. And Madison has come here before, and she says every time she comes, what we do is giving to them is just as important as what they do. Because if we don't finance it, they can't go. So we're all a part of, of sending that mission out. So God bless you. It's good to be with you this morning. Thank you to Pastor Don for allowing me to uh, do this series on the Ten Commandments. I, I shared last Sunday that I've heard it and, it, and it so blessed me, it so convicted me. I thought it was such a timely message about God's perfect law. And if you missed last Sunday, I just want to recap of some of the things we covered last Sunday. And if you, didn't, if you were not here, maybe go and watch it. I think it will be help you if you go through each uh, message. But the sermon series title is God's Guardrails for Joyous Living. I think too many times when we see the restrictions, we think, well, that's just something to make us miserable. It's not. It's not. It's God's way. It's His guardrails where we can enjoy life, and we can enjoy life. So many Christians think that we can't, and, or non-Christians in particular think that Christians, but we can. But God has given us His boundaries. And we can enjoy life within his boundaries. The uh, uh, illustration that I gave is we were driving in some mountainous areas recently, and I wanted to sneak a peek over, and in the areas where there was no guardrails, particularly, Tammy would be like, you keep your eyes on the road. Because, you know, it's, it's nerve-wracking driving with no guardrails. But when those guardrails are there, I could sneak a peek. I could look over. And that's kind of how it is in life. And we're going to bump up against God's guardrails sometime, and sometimes we might step over them. If we do, we have to repent and get back in the lanes. But God has his guardrails there for our good. The key verse is Psalm 19:7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, making wise the simple. And so my desire in this, if you're here today and you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ, that when you look into his law and the requirements of his perfect law, that you will do that. Because the, the law does two primary things. It convicts us of our sin. When we look at all those standards, we know we can't keep them. And then they instruct us in righteousness. When we come to the Lord, we repent of our sin. We say, Lord, I, I'm guilty before your perfect law. I have broken it. pastor said, well, how many? The reality is if we look close enough, we've probably broken every single one of them. And even if you hadn't, even if you said, well, I think I've kept most of them, the Bible says if you miss it on one point, you've broke them all. So we're all guilty. But once we come and put our trust in him, he takes that penalty, and then it becomes an instruction in righteousness for us, how we live. And it really boils down to two things. Lordship, which is something we seem to have lost in our culture, in our Western culture. Lordship. This idea, well, Jesus is my Savior. I made him my Savior, but I made him my Lord. That's not biblical. He's a package deal. He's both our Savior. He can't be our Savior if he's not going to be our Lord and in a biblical worldview. 
So many statistics are showing today that people who identify as born-again believers do not have a biblical worldview, particularly as it relates to life and marriage. And then there's a balance. I'm going to strive to find the balance between legalism and license. Legalism and license. I grew up under what I believed to be was legalism a lot. But I'm afraid that what we've done as a culture, if we swung to the license, now it don't matter anymore. It does matter. How we live matters. And then I dealt with the issue of grace. But we're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. Yes, we are. But grace empowers us to live godly lives. It doesn't give us a license to sin. And Paul dealt with that in many of his scriptures. So that's a quick overview of of last Sunday. And so this Sunday, I want to move right into the Ten Commandments. Most of them I'll do is they'll stand on their own, but a couple, there are a few that I will couple up. And this morning's one of those. We're going to look at the first and the second commandment together. So if you have your Bibles or you have your phones, if you'll turn to Exodus 20, and I'm going to start out and I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. Exodus 20, 1 through 6. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the ship, out of the house of bondage. And we'll stop right there just a minute before we get into the commandments. First thing first is God said, I am the Lord your God. He was reminding the children of Israel who he is. And all these commandments, particularly this one we'll deal with today, is who is what you worship. First boils down to it, who is your God? I am the Lord, your God. He was telling the nation of Israel that. And then he reminded them of what he's done, that I have brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of bondage. The Lord, our God, has brought us out of bondage. He brought them out of Egypt. He's brought us out of the bondage of sin. And once we know that, once we get a hold of the idea of I am, therefore you shall, we're a whole lot more likely to accept those things when we get God in his right perspective and who he is. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Look at the introduction. I think it no coincidence that the first two commandments given by God concern our allegiance to him. The keeping or violation of all other commandments hinge on these two. There is always something in our lives competing for our affection. Competing for what's first place in our heart. When we do, we can accept the concept of I am, therefore you shall. I asked Matt and them to sing that song, I exalt thee. Exalt means to raise in rank, to praise highly, to glorify. The question for me and the question for each of you this morning is, where does Christ rank in your heart? Where is he? And there is always something in our culture competing for it, for first place there. Always. And we'll look at a few of those as we go through. But he is to be number one. He is to have first place. He is to have the highest rank in our hearts and in our lives. 
And when it comes to the second commandment, certainly since we have no wooden statues or images in our home that we bow down to, then we have no concern with the second commandment. However, when you begin to explore the implications of worshiping the right God in the wrong manner, we begin to see that we may not be so free from the second commandment. Last week I said that most of the commandments are spoken in the negative. You shall not. But there's a positive implication to every one of them. And that is so of the second commandment. So as we start to look at God's and what competes for our allegiance, I think we need to start first with gods of the Old Testament. Let's take a look at the gods of the Old Testament. First, the gods of ancient Egypt. God had, had brought Israel out of Egypt, and that was a polytheistic society. They worshipped many gods. They had a god for everything. They had a god for weather, a god for fertility, anything that dealt with life itself they had a god for. They had a god of earth, motherhood, war, healing, and the list went on and on. In ancient Egypt, gods and goddesses were the depiction of the fundamental necessities required for sustaining life. Many cults developed and many associations were made because of the interconnection between these life requirements. Put simply, anything that made life possible was represented by an ancient god or goddess. And that was Egypt. And that's where God's people had lived for many years, and he was bringing them out of that. And we see that idea of many gods found in Exodus 12 and 12. When God was sending the angel of death, the last plague on the, on the land, and he said, I'm going to kill the firstborn of everything. He said this, for I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. And then he said, I am the Lord. And then Joshua, you see it as well in Joshua, one of my favorite verses, Joshua was a true leader. He had all the nation of Israel around gathered. He was confirming the covenant that they had made with God. They were about to go into the promised land and they were grumbling and complaining like we do most of the time about something. And they think, well, I might have had it better in Egypt. This has been hard. And Joshua stands before him and he gives him a challenge. He says, now therefore fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away all the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. He went on to say, choose this day who you're going to serve. And that's just as much for us today. Choose this day who we're going to serve. So there was many gods in Egypt. That is the situation in which God had brought his people out. And then as you go through the Old Testament, you'll see two primary gods often mentioned in the Old Testament. First is Baal. Baal was a fertility god of the Canaanites and also of weather. I found something interesting as I was doing a little study about Baal. It said some Israelites worshipped God and Baal, perhaps figuring that the Canaanites' success in farming was due to Baal rather than practice. Agriculture was the primary way of life then. And the Canaanites had had a lot of practice at it. And the Israelites were looking at that saying, well, maybe there's something to this Baal, this weather god, because they're so successful. So they would worship Baal a little bit or give him credit in that. Rather than understanding that the Canaanites had had many years of practice in agriculture. But then it said this, and I just found this so pertinent to today. 
It said God to the Israelites, God seemed mainly a go-to God in time of war. And when I thought about that, I thought about how many in our culture today, when things are going okay or we see other people have it okay, we'll go along with that. But the first time I get a bad report, something happens with my children, a crisis of life hits me, then I'll run to the God of the Bible because he seems to be able to do something. It seems to be kind of a default for us in many ways and a default for the world. But God is not just a God of war or a God we run to. Our God is a God of every day. Probably the most well-known story in the Bible concerning the God of Baal. If you've never read this, I didn't have them put up all this scripture. It's down for you there if you'd like to look at it, if you've never read it. First Kings, the story's told in 1 Kings 18, 20 through 40. And it's the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. There was 450 prophets of Baal, and it was only Elijah at that time was a prophet of Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Elijah had had enough of this. He said, let's go up to Mount Carmel, and let's see who the true God is. And he bring up all 450 prophets, and he tells them, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take two bulls up there. He told the prophets of Baal, he said, you take your bull, you cut it up, and you put it on the altar, and you call to your God. And that's what happened. And the Bible says those 450 prophets stood there and they called, Oh, Baal, Baal, whatever, however they were trying to get him. And Elijah's sitting there watching this. And the scriptures are funny in this to me. Because Elijah starts to taunt him. He starts to say, Call a little louder. Maybe he's asleep. That's what the scriptures say. Maybe he's gone away for a while. Call him a little bit louder. And nothing happened. You know what the Bible says? They said they started to cut themselves couldn't help but think of how many people cut themselves today because there's no hope because they have their, their hope in the wrong God. They're calling on the wrong God. And that leads to depravity. It leads to hopelessness. And Elijah walked up and he said, my turn. And he said, build the altar. And he took a bull and they cut it up and they built the altar. They put the bull on it. The Bible says he covered it, surrounded the altar with stones, dug a trench around it. And he said, now cover it with water. Pour water all over it. Pour the water on it. He said, pour the water on it again. It's soaking wet. He sets back and he calls on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the Bible says that the fire come down and it lapped up those uh, sacrifice. It lapped up the wood. It lapped up the rocks. It lapped up the dust. It lapped up everything. And it made the children of Israel realize, remind them of who the true God is. And it's not on Baal. It was not Baal. And then there's the Ashtoreths. That was also the God of the Canaanites and the Philistines. The Canaanites and the Philistines were enemies of God's people all through the Old Testament. And many times they would fall right back into worship, uh, to worship with them. The men, as us knuckleheaded men, we would allow the women of these pagan nations, they would allow them to pull them. And the next thing you know, they're over there with the pagan women, worshiping the pagan God. And God would send judgment. We see that in, second judge, in Judges 2, 11 and 13. It says, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And in verse 13 it said, They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreth. Ashtoreth was often associated with a tree. They would make a tree or some type of wooden post and they would worship it as their God. And much of the prophet's rebuke throughout the entire Old Testament was for worshiping false gods. 
It was for idolatry. And we see that when God was talking to Gideon and gave Gideon instructions in the book of Judges as well when he said this, Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of the seven years old, tear down the altar to Baal that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that's beside it, that would be the Ashtoreth pole, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement. Take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. God told Gideon, get rid of the false altars. Get rid of the false gods. And the same is true for us today. Get rid of the false images. Get rid of the false gods and worship the true God. So that's the gods of the Old Testament. But we really don't have a problem here in America with worshiping Baal or Astra. What do? What does compete for our allegiance? What does compete for first place in our hearts? Let's take a look at some of them. We can't talk about false religions, false gods, without talking about other religions. Because they can't all be true. Either someone's true and one's a lie, or they're all false. But we know what's true. And we'll start out first with Islam. There are many today in our culture that will say that Islam and the Christians worship the same God. That is not true. Amen. That is not true. Islam is the second largest religion next to Christianity. Some say, though, that by 2070, it may be larger, more Muslims than Christians. But I think it's important that we draw the distinction. I'll give you, if you want to write these, I'll give you five differences between Islam and Christianity. First is the source of truth. Our source of truth is the Bible. We believe that the Bible is an errant, infallible, inspired word of God. They believe that's the Quran. They can't both be true. Next, who Jesus is. They believe he was a prophet. They believe he was a good man. They speak of him. We know that he was the Son of God. We know that he was divine. Salvation. Salvation. Our salvation is by grace through faith, not through works. Their salvation comes through works. Comes through works, prayer, giving alms, doing something, doing something. Christianity is the only religion that doesn't say do, it says done. Done at a cross, finished. Here's one. How about how women are treated? Any place where Christianity has taken a stronghold, women have been elevated, they have been respected. Why do you think they were so concerned over in Afghanistan when we abandoned that nation? Why do you think the women were so concerned? They were so concerned we may not be able to go to school anymore. We may not get a driver's license anymore. We're going to be oppressed. Not so with us. The Messiah, our Lord, chose a woman to, to reveal His Messiahship to. A Samaritan woman. Jesus tore down every single racial and gender barrier there is. And finally, Christianity is not a religion, but a relationship. We hear that it is on the world stage a religion, but what makes it different is it is about a personal, intimate relationship with the God of heaven through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's not rules to keep for our salvation. It's not things to do for our salvation. 
Some of you saw this. I want to give you the words directly from someone. Madison put this up about where they're serving. It's mostly a Muslim nation. And I want to read something to you that came from their teacher, their language teacher, who's a, who's a Muslim. She said this, your religion seems better than mine. You know, you know you belong to God and you'll be God forever. You'll be with God forever. I don't know that. That's sad, church. I go to bed worrying every night about what the truth is. When people follow Jesus, their hearts are changed and they get better. When they follow my religion, their hearts get harder. That's the difference. That's the difference. And that's coming from someone who's there. That's coming from someone that the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ is already softening that heart. From someone who lives in it. And I thank God for his word. Buddhism. Buddhism is not even a, it's not even theistic. There's not even a God. It's a way of life. New Age syncretism. You might say, Brother Larry, what in the world is New Age syncretism? It's very prevalent today. It's where, you know what, I'll take a little bit of Judaism. I'll take a little bit of Christianity. I'll take a little bit of Wiccan or New Age spiritual stuff, and I'll just combine it all together. That's, that becomes a God because it's false. Tammy and I happen to know someone who goes to a fairly prominent church in this area, and they probably don't know she's involved in this stuff. And then lastly, pluralism. Probably the most common issue today, and that is that our culture is pushing this all roads lead to heaven. Buddha can get you there. It, uh, Muhammad can get you there. Uh, Christianity can do it. The Lord Jesus can get you there. No. No. Those are the things that compete for first place in people's hearts today. Those false religions. But still primarily the thing that competes for us today as believers in the Lord and even in the world is the gods of success, money, health, and ministry. Success, money, health, and ministry. I want to deal with success and money first. Do you know Jesus taught more about money than he did heaven and hell? He knew that there was one thing that was going to compete for our affection with him. It would be this idea of success and money. Because people are infatuated with it. It becomes insatiable. I want more money. I want more success. And with that comes power. I've told this story before. Several years ago, I was in a, in a residence. And there was a young man in there, and he had a, had a tank top on. I was with the police department then. And he had a big tattoo, tattooed down his arm. And it said, money, the root of all evil. And I said, I like that tattoo you got there. I said, you know where that comes from? He said, mm-mm. I said, it comes out of the Bible. He said, does it? I said, yeah. I said, but don't say it that way. He said, well, what does it say? I said, it says money. The love of money is the root of all evil. And he said, oh, man, I like that better. And I said, well, you should have read the Word of God or the Bible before you put it on your arm. But it is the love of money. And I think so many times what happens is we as Christians, if we're not careful, we use that to judge one each other, condemn one another. I thank God that we've got a lot of people in our culture, in our church, that have been successful by following the Lord's Word, by following what the Bible says. And they've done well, and I thank God for that. 
And many of them take that money and they bless others with it. We look at Hobby Lobby and Chick-fil-A and some of these other businesses that have established their business on Christian principles. They've done very well. And we have, to, we have to guard against looking back at our brother and sister, maybe that's done well, and said, hey, look at him. Well, that God, their money is their God. Just because maybe we're a little jealous of what they've been able to accomplish. We'll see that as I deal with covetous later on. But it can. It does compete for our affection. Health. Just today, I was coming to church, and this is regular. I'm coming down Guest Road, and I see people running, walking their dog, going down to the uh, Eno Park to, to hike. Good. We only have one body. We should take care of it. We should work out. We should watch what we eat. But there are some people who are so obsessed with that, so narcissistic in that, it becomes their God. It does. They're not going to miss the gym. Sunday's the only day I can get one of my gym days. I'm going to the gym. And I wonder if I spent as much time in God's Word and in personal devotion, what would my spirit man look like compared to this body that even though I can take care of it, you can take care of it, you should take care of it. But i got to tell you, friend, every time I look in the mirror, I see that it is passing away. Right, Brother Danny? I mean, it just is. It's getting old. And I go into the gym and I see I can't do the things I could do five years ago. Because it's getting old. But the spirit man's going to live forever. One of the um, scriptures that I like to use oftentimes in the gym when I'm talking to someone about these things is uh, it's something that Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 and 8. Now, I've read some things before that said Paul might have been a kind of a skinny, gangly dude. I don't know. And that I wonder if Timothy was, Timothy was young, he was a young man, and I wonder maybe he was a buff guy. Maybe he was a work guy that worked out. And what the word picture that I get in my head when I read this scripture, I see, I see Timothy, and I don't know how they would have worked out back then. Maybe he's got some rocks or something. He's curling those things. And I see Paul standing there looking at him, just watching him. And Paul said this. He said, Timothy, bodily exercise is of some value. He didn't say don't do it. He said it's of some value. He said, but godliness has benefit for this life and the life to come. Okay, take care of yourself. But the question for you and for me is, is it well with your soul? Because it's going to live forever. And in ministry, you've heard pastor talk many, many times. He's been pastoring a long time. He's seen it all. That ministry can become a God. It becomes so wrapped up in it that maybe it, it's really first place. That's why I think it's so important for ministers to have a break. Like they went this week to California. There was worship when they don't have to come up and prepare. And they can spend some time building themselves up. Because I got news for you. They have the same struggles, problems, and hopes and dreams that, that we have. And they need the same anointing of the Holy Spirit in their lives that we need. And really all, what it, all these things boil down to, church, whether it's success, whether it's money, whether it's health, whether it's ministry, no matter what it is, you know what it really boils down to? It really boils down to pride. It boils down to pride. Look at me. Look at this I got. Look at my car. Look at my house. Look how good I look. It just boils down to pride. And I thought about that as I thought about the Apostle Paul. Paul said, if I had a reason to brag or boast, I, I got reasons to do it. And he, and he started naming out his pedigree. He said, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was an Israeli. 
As to the law, I was a Pharisee. I knew all about the law. He would have been the one when he walked into the room, everybody would have stepped back, put the chair out and said, here's Paul, have a seat, Paul. And when he had an encounter with the Lord, he said, you know what I think about that stuff now? It belongs in the trash can. That's what he said. And he said, if I will boast anything, I will boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. So if we're going to boast in something, we're going to brag about something, let's brag about the cross of Christ. Let's brag about what he's done for us at that cross. That's the only thing we really should boast about. He chooses to bless us in other areas. Praise God. If he's blessed you financially, he hadn't blessed it for you to hoard up. He's blessed it for you to bless somebody else. He's blessed it. He wants to flow it through you, not to you. Because when it's all said and done, we all worship something or someone. The triune God of the Bible is to be our only God and the way we, which we live is according to the revelation of His Word. God said in the opening scripture that He is a jealous God. In Deuteronomy 4 and into 5 and 6, He said this, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness or anything that is in heaven above, what is in earth beneath. What is in the water under the earth, nor shall you bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. When I see, read something about those who hate me, that kind of sends chills down my spine. I don't know about you, but church, there's people out there that hate God. There's a difference, as Pastor and I were talking recently, about being rebellious and hating God, and they're being sin in your life. And there are people today that, and the Bible says at the end time, one of the remarks, it will be God-haters. Say the name of Jesus in certain situations, or let it get interjected. People go crazy. Why? Because this is spiritual warfare. This is a spiritual battle. But I want to deal with something here that I think is important we deal with. Because he said in there, visiting the iniquity of the Father, of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations. And I think if we're not careful that, what we do is dads in particular, because dads, and I'm going to deal with this when we, when we go through the family. I'm going to combine honoring your father and your mother and not committing adultery all under the umbrella of the biblical family. Dads, we have such a huge role in the lives of our kids. We've been given that role by God. And what happens when we miss that, or maybe you've come to come to, to the Lord late in life and behind you there's just carnage there's broken relationships there's kids that are not doing well and you hear this scripture or maybe someone uses this scripture to lay, it a, lay a burden or a guilt trip on you and you're like this is all my fault now don't, don't get me wrong we have some responsibility we have some responsibility but every person ultimately is responsible for their own sin look at God look at uh, Deuteronomy 24 and 16 God was talking to Moses here. He says, Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for their own sin. Dad, if there's some problems back there and you've come to the Lord, the Bible also says he gives beauty for ashes. The Bible also says he can, destroy, he can, he can restore the years that the, that the locusts eat. Okay? So don't take this scripture and don't let anyone take this scripture and put it on you as a guilt trip. Is there, do you have some cleaning up to do? Yes. Maybe you have some apologies to do? Yes. But ultimately, your children are responsible for themselves. 
But did you, do we have some responsibilities as fathers? Absolutely we do. As I was studying this, I ran across this, this uh, graphic. And, and Sister Christy, would you put that up for me? Because he talks about it being on to the generations. And look at this. this is, it was a four-generation fade. Parents don't make church a high priority for their kids. Now, this ain't just about church. When it says church, this is the things of God. They don't make it a high priority for their kids. And I tried to think maybe in America, where, what generation did this start in? And I think maybe the generation before mine. I'm not sure. But then next, those kids grow up and make it less of a priority for their kids. Then those kids grow up and make it no priority for their kids. And then those kids grow up with no concept of who God is. If you've heard me say before, George Barna, who does research, says that this generation that's coming up now, they're in their upper teens to low 20s, is called Generation Z. It will be the most atheistic society generation that America has ever seen. They will soon be our legislatures, our judges, and we're going to see what happens. And we don't put that on one person. We put it on generations, and we've seen it happen. Priorities today impact generations. It's never too late. Mom, dad, you got young kids. Bring those kids to church. I don't care how much the culture says it doesn't matter. It does matter. Train them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Teach them God's word. It can impact generations. Ultimately, we were made to worship God and to glorify him. Isaiah 43 and 7. Everyone who is called by my name, who I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. Created for his glory. And 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whether, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Let us all glorify him. Let the world see that we worship him by the way we glorify him in our lives daily. Now to the issue of idols. An idol is a person, a place, or a thing that takes first place in your heart that you exalt to the highest place Maybe above God. Isaiah 42 and 8. God said, I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory I will not give to another. Nor my praise to carved images. So what about pictures? What about symbols? Are they okay? Is it okay to have a picture of Jesus? Is it okay to wear a cross around your neck? I think so. I'm glad we don't have pictures in here. Some places do. Some people feel differently. I get it. But here's my concern with them. Because God said, don't make any carved image. You know, what are you going to make? What are we going to make that's going to encompass the greatness of God? What could we possibly do? There's nothing. There's nothing. And the problem when we get into doing these things in pictures, and you'll see this. This is the first thing that came to my mind when I was preparing this. What about pictures and symbols? How about, what about a white Jesus or a black Jesus? Is he white or is he black? You know, I go in, I've been into a lot of uh, African-American churches over the years. Sometimes you go in there, and there's uh, pictures of Jesus, and he's black. I go in some places in white churches, if they have pictures of Jesus in there, he's white. Here's the problem with that. I don't know. I've heard some say that if we had a picture of Jesus, he'd probably look more like Osama bin Laden than the white Jesus or the black Jesus. Okay? But I don't know. And the problem with doing that is this. What we begin to do is we begin to create a Jesus in our image that we're comfortable with. 
I like the white Jesus because I'm white. I like the black Jesus because I'm black. I like the Hispanic Jesus because I'm Hispanic. We don't do that. Next thing you know, we have the surfer dude Jesus because I'm a surfer dude. Where, I mean, where does it end? Where does it end? We come to Him. We worship Him in spirit and in truth. We'll see that in a minute. And there's no image, no symbol that we can create. When we start doing it, we get into a mess. We start trying to make a Jesus in our image. But what about objects as reminders of our faith? Somewhere across, that's okay. Some have pictures, that's okay. As long as they're just reminders of your faith. If you were here, it's been some time back on a Wednesday night. I did a teaching on Wednesday night about our spiritual heritage. How we all had a spiritual heritage going all the way back to Abraham. And I talked a little bit about my trip to Israel. Man, I'm just going to say to all of you here, particularly young people, get that on your bucket list. Go to Israel. Go see, go walk the places that you read about. But we were several places, but one of the places we were was in the Valley of Allah. That's where David slayed Goliath. And uh, I didn't know if we would be able to or not, so I was, while, the, while the pastor we was with was giving the story of David and Goliath, I was kind of hiding over there behind Tammy, picking up rocks and putting them in my pocket. But then after it was over, he said, if you want to pick up some rocks, pick up some rocks. So I started picking up more. And uh, this is the rock I picked up. Because I think it was a smooth stone. I would imagine it had been maybe about that size. I even said, this one has a little red spot on it. I think this is the one that took Goliath down. <laughs> but I keep it in my office. And I look at it sometime. But I don't worship this rock. But this rock reminds me that it was a little Jewish boy one day. And he trusted in God enough to say, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would betray the armies of the living God? And he took him down. And it reminds me that he was a forerunner of the Lord who would stand there and he would face the giants of sin and death and the graves and he would take them down. And that I can put my trust in the Lord. And this rock just reminds me of all that. All the way back to David and Goliath. These are okay. These are okay. But let's just make sure we keep those types of things in their proper perspective. But most importantly, probably the most well-known idol, if you will, is the golden calf. But you know, as I studied this, what I found out is the golden calf, was it an idol? Yes. But I think what was actually happening there is what we'll transition into, which is the positive implication of this second commandment, which is worshiping the right God the wrong way. Because that's what had happened here. Moses had gone up. He'd gone away. The children of Israel, they're like, where'd Moses go? So Aaron, what does he do? He gets a bunch of gold, and he makes a golden calf. Moses comes down. Next thing you know, they seem to be worshiping around this thing. But look at what Exodus 32, 4, and 5 reads. Look how this reads. It says, after he, that's Aaron, received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said... This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. That brought you out of the land of Egypt. Well, God had just said when He gave the Ten Commandments and Moses gave them, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. So Aaron saw it. He built an altar before it. Aaron would have already known about the requirements to build an altar. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they did feast to the Lord. I think what was happening here, Aaron in a perverted way was trying to worship God, but in the wrong way. 
He was trying to worship the right God in the wrong way. He was doing exactly what we said don't do. Don't take something. Try to put God's majesty, His glory, all of His attributes in this thing. You can't do that. And let's run around and worship it. That's why truth is so important. Which leads us right into worshiping the right God the right way. Do you know in the sacrificial system, people died not doing it God's way. In Leviticus 10 and 1, Aaron had two sons named Nadab and Abihu, and God had given specific instructions on how they were to worship. And they came flippantly into the presence of the Lord. And they were, the Bible says they brought strange fire to him, and they dropped dead. Now, we don't do that anymore. If we did, we'd probably have some people straightening up. But it does not negate the fact that we're to come into God's presence with a sense of reverence and awe. That He's just as holy now as He was then. And we don't come into, in, into God's presence any old way, any old attitude, worship any old way. We come into the way that God has told us to come before Him. And now we come before Him one way, through His Son. That's the only way we can approach Him now. By a finished work of a cross, a torn veil, all the work has been done, and we come to Him now humbly and reverent. We worship in spirit and in truth. John 4, 24, Jesus was talking to the woman at the well. And He said, God is spirit, and His worshipers, some translations say true worshipers, must worship Him in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? What does that mean? We can't even know the Lord. We can't even start to come to Him unless we're drawn by the Holy Spirit. Everything that happens on the earth today is done through the agent of the Holy Spirit. He is God's agent on the world. And You've been sitting in your pew before and something's pulling at you, says something's not right, something's not right in my spirit. That's the Holy Spirit drawing you. You sit in that pew as Brother Matt and him begin to worship and set a stage and you just want to raise your hands and worship. That's the Holy Spirit working through you. And you know what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit? He said, you know one thing he would do? He would glorify me. And so when you raise your hands and you begin to worship, you're worshiping in spirit and truth. You're worshiping the true God through the Spirit, through the Holy, very Holy Spirit. is drawing you to worship none other than the Son of God. But it has to be done in truth. That's why knowing the Word of God is so important. You can get some worship services that can get real weird real fast when people don't understand the Scriptures. It just becomes an, an emotional outburst. Because you know what? Music and, and, and song, it's emotional, isn't it? There's some secular songs that, that well up some emotions in them. I don't think that's worship. Like, I know it's not. Not to worship to the true God. And I know Brother Matt and this team, they are painstaking when they're going to try a new song, as he's told me before. They, I think some website he goes to or something to make sure that the words that we are singing are good scripture and good doctrine because that matters. I've heard this said before. All truth and no spirit and you drop. And I don't want to be somewhere like that. I've been in some places like that. I think there's a lot of truth. There ain't no spirit in that church. And it just seems dead as a door down to me. Now, I'm not saying they're not saved people. I'm not there to judge that. But it's just no spirit. But then you can have all spirit, no truth, and you blow up. But the right combination of the spirit and truth, and we grow up. We mature in the Lord. So we worship in spirit and truth. 
We worship corporately, corporately within the local church. It's still amazing to me how many churches have just folded under corona. And I'm not here to get political, but I'm here to tell you, when we, when we met as a church leadership team back when this all started, we began to sh scratch our head and say, wait a minute, the liquor store is open, the abortion clinic's open, all the home improvement stores are open, the grocery store's open, and we can't go to the church. Something's wrong. But fortunately, we had a judge here rule. And we had, did we do it right? Yes. Have we taken it serious? Yes. But it, there's a whole world today that tells you that what we do here on Sunday morning is what's done in our, doesn't really matter. It does matter. Coming together corporately, worshiping the Lord, all the more when you see the day approaching. And if you've been here with us on Wednesday night, the day's approaching. Jesus is coming back. Yeah. Lastly, Brother Matt, you guys can come on up. And this is most important. We worship through our obedience. Praise and worship is not something we do for 10 minutes on a Sunday morning. It's how we live. This is what these commandments show us. It's how we live. It's when maybe everybody else is chasing the gods of success and money, and they find out that you actually give your money away to a church. Are you crazy? That's not my God. We worship him through our obedience. Paul, talking to the church at Rome in Romans 12, 1, said, I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Some translations say your reasonable worship. Your reasonable worship. Our entire lifestyle should be a worship unto the Lord. Yeah. Everything we do should be a worship unto the Lord. That we present our bodies as a worship to Him. That we're obedient to Him. And it's going to be hard. I see our young people each time I preach and they're facing it. It's, it's tough for them. That's why we need to build them up and have, thank God for pastors like Michael and Christy who are teaching these kids what God's Word says about things because they're being inundated, particularly in the public schools, with everything that's opposed to it. But we worship Him with our everyday life. We look at these commandments and we say, God, this is, I want to make sure, I want to guard my heart, Lord, and make sure that whatever's competing for your allegiance, and there always is. It may not be today, but throughout your walk, Wednesday night at the study with David Jeremiah, he said the thing about Christianity is daily. It's daily. And we die daily. But God's mercies are new every morning. And we get up, and this week it may, this day it may not be, the next day, but there's going to come a time that's going to be something pulling from my allegiance. Maybe it's a relationship that God, that's outside of God's biblical standards. Maybe it's money. Maybe there's compromising something because I can make more money if I do. I don't know what it is for any of you. Only you know that. But God helped me to guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. And it's done through His Word. And it's done through the ministry of His Holy Spirit. And so as we've looked at these first and second commandments, I'm going to ask you a hypothetical. What's first place in your heart? Is he? I think at times, yes. In times, I'm not so sure. 
There's a song we sang, I think it was last, last week. It, it says, I'm desperate for you. And it goes on to say, I'm lost without you. Now, I sing I'm desperate for you in faith. Because i got to tell you, church, there's a lot of times I don't think I'm desperate for the Lord. But I know I'm lost without Him. I do know that. And so I don't know what might pull at you for your allegiance. But you stay close to Him. You stay in His Word. And then let's make sure we worship Him the right way. Let's make sure we worship Him in spirit and in truth. That's why I thank God for a church like this that gives us good sound doctrine. The whole counsel of God. And it's hard sometimes. It convicts you, doesn't it? It does me, but it also encourages me. So would you stand? What I want to do this, this morning is we're going to sing a song, I worship you, almighty God. There's none like you. And if this morning you say, you know, I just want to, church, there's just something about worshiping the Lord. The Bible says bring a sacrifice of praise. And sometimes I think, well, I don't feel like it. What if the person next to me thinks I'm a nut? Get rid of all that stuff. Come before him, shut yourself off for a little while, and worship. And let the Holy Spirit pour into you. Let him move through you. You heard Colin and Madison say that he won't, whether it's your neighbor across the street or a foreign land, when the Holy Spirit begins to move through you, he's going to do things for his kingdom through you. He wants to do that. But don't let your pride. I said that those things that compete first place in our heart, it's pride. And when you sit down and you know, you know, I think I'd like to come down and just worship, but I don't feel like I'm worthy. That's a lie of the devil. Number two, I'm afraid of what somebody's going to think. That's pride. So I'm going to ask him to start playing. If you want to come down, let's gather around this altar and let's just worship a little while. Can we do that? Let's just worship a little while. And then we're going to pray for specific needs and let's let God move in our midst. Amen.
told you the words of the song that we sing matter. He says, I worship you for you are my righteousness. If you're still in your sin today, God wants to be, the Lord wants to be your righteousness. He wants to take your sin and give you his righteousness. If you haven't done that, don't leave this place with the sin guilt, the sin debt, and the shame that comes with it. If you're here this morning and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. We'll just have somebody come around and pray with you. Anybody? If you're here this morning, you have a need. Spiritual need, physical need, financial need. We believe in the prayer of agreement. We believe in coming around each other and bearing each other's burdens. If there's something specific that you would like someone to pray for you for. Sister Judy. Anyone else? Sister Joy. Anybody else? Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your presence this year. I thank you, God, that we can still worship you in spirit and truth. Lord, and I thank you that we can come to you through Christ. You said now that we can come boldly to your throne room. And so for each person who's raised their hand, whatever that need is, Lord, we come into agreement as a church. And so we say we worship you, Almighty God, that you will have first place in our heart, that we exalt you and you alone. Yes, God, we thank you for the things of life that we can enjoy, but we only our praise is only for you. We put you in your rightful place, which is King of kings and Lord of lords. And so I pray that you would meet each need here, O oh God. We worship you. Almighty God, there is none like you. Almighty God, there is none. Sing it out. I worship you. That is what I want to do. I give you praise. For you are my righteousness. I worship none like you. There is none like you. If you're here today and you're 30 or 30-ish and younger, I want you to come and stand right here. All of you that are 30 or 30-ish, around 30, come on. Stand right here. And Chip, there's some that's out. I want to pray for them. If, you, if they're okay, if you could, maybe to the restroom or something. 30-ish. I want to, because, you know, sometimes we pray for the teenagers, and that's what I want to do. I appreciate all of our young people. And like Larry said, Michael and Christy just do such a wonderful job. And Emma and just do such a wonderful job at all of these kids. But I felt in my spirit this whole week that the devil is trying to destroy our youth. Yes. 
And one of the ways he's trying to, that he uses to try to destroy them is to devalue them. You're nothing. You never will succeed. You'll never make it. You can't be like him or her. Come on in, guys. Thank you. Come on, come on up here. Come on. I just feel so strong. All that's 30 or younger, come on. Hallelujah. One more time. I worship. Come on. There ain't none like Jesus. I worship you, Lord. Prince of Peace. Because that's what I want to do. Lift your voice. Come on, here we go. us to pray and lay our hands on these people. Can we make a, are we making a straight line? That's good. Okay. I want every one of you moms, dads, us adults, older, I want us to find someone to get behind. Would you, would you get behind someone? Over here, we need several over here. Come over here. Let me tell you folks, you young folks today, I feel this so strong. Satan has lied to you. Neil, he plays the music around the house, gospel music so much, and sometimes it's a little tough on me, but he loves it, and I love, I love to hear him playing it. And he kept walking around saying, he lied. He lied. And there's a song, he said, listen to this. And I listened to the song, and it was a beautiful I guess it's a new song. Satan, all the things he said, and he's a liar. Satan is a liar. And he's told you you can't succeed. You can't make good grades. You can't be successful. And he's tried to compare you with someone else. Maybe an athlete. Maybe a singer. Maybe even maybe someone in your family. And he wants you to be compare you to compare yourself. Don't you compare yourself with nobody. Because there is nobody like you. You are special. He'll, he'll magnify all your weaknesses. He'll make you concentrate on those weaknesses. Stop 
looking at your weak weaknesses. Look at the positive things. And there are positive things. And make yourself scarce when you're around people that put you down. Are you listening? Don't be around them. Just walk away. I don't care which, I could walk to every one of you, every one of you right now and look in your face and say, you are special. I can't tell you how much God loves you and how important that you are. The Holy Spirit is going to bless you. And I want these people, listen, as they lay their hands on you. And let me go a little bit farther here. Let me just go a little bit farther. If you're struggling with something in your life, listen at me. Maybe there's something specifically that you're struggling with. Don't mind telling that person, and they'll keep it to themselves. We believe that. We'll keep, they'll just pray for you personally. So feel free. Talk. The devil wants to close your mouth. I'm not talking about just talking. I'm talking about be honest. The Bible says confess. We don't like to confess. But now we're going to pray. And I want every one of you to know how... Could you get in front of those people that you're praying? Would you mind getting in front of them? Turn, step back and let's get in front of them. It's okay. It's okay. Get in front of them. Yeah, I want you to, I want you to get in front of them. Now, if you feel like talking to that person, talk to them. Ask them what their need is, any particular needs. And right now, we're going to have faith in God. We're going to believe God. Because God is here through his spirit. Father, in the name of Jesus, pray out, folks. Father, pray out audibly. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we come. We lay our hands on these young men and these young women, and we pray particularly for them. And we pray against the spirit of discouragement. We pray against the spirit that would put them down and make them feel sad. And we pray, God, they would understand their value, how important they are, not only to the kingdom of God, but in this life, in this life, at school, at work, dear God at home how valuable how valuable how valuable they are in the name of Jesus Christ Satan take your filthy hands off of our young people in Jesus name build them up through the spirit hallelujah hallelujah I worship Go ahead and continue to pray in. Pray out. Praise out. Come on. Praise the Lord. Young folks, lift your voice. Say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Open that mouth and praise the Lord. Hallelujah. That's what I want to do.
is none like you. There is none like you. One more time. There is none like you, Lord. Now, you know that person you prayed for? If you're free, and they're free, take them out this week to McDonald's or Chick-fil-A or somewhere and buy them a nice meal. God bless you. Have a great day today.